It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. And uh, if you don't know me, my name is Chris Yuki. I'm a minister in training here at Epiphany Church, and it's my privilege and opportunity to be able to share God's word with you tonight, continuing in our series, God Over Money. And I'm sure if you're like me, it's like there's a certain few topics that you don't actually want to talk about, right? There's that saying, you don't talk about God or, or politics. I think money is one of those things that makes us feel really uncomfortable. Like, why are you all up in my business? Leave me alone about my money. But like everything in our life, there isn't a part of our life that Jesus and his gospel doesn't touch. And actually, as frightful as you may feel, I know for a long season of, of, of our lives, money created a lot of fear and anxiety. You even bring up the topic, my heart would start to race. You know, thoughts about debts that I owed were in the back of my mind. Mistakes that I'd made. But folks, there are no financial mistakes that you've made that Jesus cannot meet you in and guide you through. But you've got to learn that you have to meet Jesus on his terms. Amen? We have to meet Jesus on his terms. There's not a part of our lives where we can say, okay, God, I acknowledge you, but let me just keep it to myself over here. I don't know about you, but there's been those times where life is so hard, the money is bad, things aren't going right, and you're thinking, man, what if I just won the lottery? Have you ever had that thought before? Maybe you bought some lottery tickets. You see that jackpot go way up there, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, and you just begin to think about how that money could change your life. If I strike it rich, I could take care of all these problems. I would be free. I could live life the way I want to on my terms. I could go buy that house. I could go on that vacation. I could take care of my parents. I could do all these things for people that I love. I did some research, though, over the weekend. There was a study done in 2011 that showed that people who won the lottery were actually more likely to file for bankruptcy than the average person. Right? That's not what you wanted to hear, is it? Wait, I thought if I won it big, it would take care of all my problems. But you're telling me there's a study that says that winning the lottery won't fix my problems? Unfortunately, right, it doesn't. All the money in the world will not solve your money problems. In this same article, they talked to some different lottery winners. This guy, Jack Whitaker, won $315 million in West Virginia in 2002. And this is what he said. I wish that we had torn the ticket That's, that's heavy. 
in that time since winning that lottery, Whitaker said that he'd lost his daughter and granddaughter to drug overdoses. Eight months after winning, he was robbed of half a million dollars. And he said this in reflection, I just don't like Jack Whitaker. I don't like the hard heart I've got. I don't like what I've become. There's a a woman as well that they interviewed and she said, I had to endure the greed and the need that people have trying to get you to release your money to them. That caused a lot of emotional pain. These are people who I've loved deep down and they're turning into vampires trying to suck the life out of me. Could you imagine this thing that you thought would change your life in fact, ends up robbing you of all the best parts of your life. And you have no joy, no relationships. And in fact, you may have no money either because you're bankrupt. How often have you and I thought, if I just had more money, it would solve my problems? I know I have. I know I have. It can seem like money is simply a number in an account, kind of like an apple on a tree. It can be a piece of paper we bundle and stuff in our pocket, right? We like to think of money as this object that has no meaning, no significance beyond a number. And yet the the facts bear out that money seems to hold far greater value than we tend to give it. It's complicated. In the first Harry Potter movie, The Sorcerer's Stone, Harry discovers this mirror. It's called the Mirror of Erised. And you have to remember, the first movie, Harry is is young. Most of the people... Adults around him are more familiar with his story than he is with his own. He doesn't know the story of his parents and of Voldemort and why it all happened. And he's longing for connection with his parents. And he finds this mirror. And when he looks into the mirror, what does he see? He sees his parents standing there next to him. And it meets this sense of longing that he has. And so night after night, he returns to this mirror because he wants to see his parents. He wants to be connected to them. And finally, Dumbledore, one night, finds Harry sitting in front of the mirror, and he has some words of wisdom for this young man. He says to Harry, regarding the mirror, it shows us nothing more or nothing less than the deepest, most desperate desire of our hearts. You, Harry, who have never known your family, see them standing around you. Ronald Weasley, who has always been overshadowed overshadowed by his brothers, sees himself standing alone, the best of all of them. However, this mirror will give us neither knowledge or truth. 
Just because you see them in the mirror doesn't mean that it's the reality that you have, is essentially what he's saying. And he tells him, he warns him, men have wasted away before it, entranced by what they have seen, or been driven mad, not knowing if it shows, if what it shows is real or even possible. In the same way, money is our mirror of Ereset isn't it? When we look into the mirror of money, we think, like it reflects back our desires, right? If I had enough money, I could go to this place. I could buy this property. I could do this thing. It offers this this false sense of hope. When we look at money, it often reflects back to us our deepest desires, The things we long for most, and frankly, the things we flat out worship more than God. Money money becomes a source of power for getting things that we want. And we're easily led astray into thinking we can live without God. If I just get more money, then I can get this thing. And then once I got that thing, I can do this thing. It offers us a kind of freedom from God that will wreck our souls. But that freedom actually comes with a grave cost, doesn't it? When we fall down and we worship money, and really what we say when we worship money is that we love the things that it can give us, the power to have control over our lives, the ability to have stability, that money, the desire for all of those things become a cruel master that will take everything from you, leaving you an empty shell of who you were meant to be in Jesus. that's the bad news right that's the bad news money is not a neutral thing in our lives money is that mirror that's showing us often the things that we desire but money is still a reality of our lives we can't just go into some secret society where money doesn't exist we live in a world that's commodified it's 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 like you got to have money to be able to pay rent you got to have money to buy groceries. So it's true, right, that the love of money is the source of a lot of evil. It can be the source of a lot of temptation and evil in our hearts, and yet it's an everyday part of our lives. And so we have to learn how to form a healthy relationship with money. We have to understand it properly in its context. And the fact is that that is not an easy process. I would suspect that money is the source of the biggest battles that we often face in our lives. So we want to explore now 
the good news that Jesus has for us about how we can change our relationship to money. All right? And it starts with something simple. It starts with where does your allegiance lie? So let's read our passage of scripture for tonight. It should be up on the screen, Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. Beginning in verse 14, please follow along with me. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one, he gave five talents to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil lazy servant. If you knew what I reap, if you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's five things from this, from this passage that we want to walk through. We want to observe, and we want to understand how we can apply them to our lives and how we relate to money. And the first thing that you need to see from this passage and understand is that you are a steward of your resources. Can somebody say steward? 
steward. You are a steward of your resources. The definition of steward is this. You manage or look after another's property. Wait, what? My name is on that bank account. What are you talking about? That's my money. No, 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 no. You are a steward. You are managing something that God has given you. The master in this story gathers his servants and he gives them money according to their abilities and he entrusts them to him and he asks them to take care of them. And the wise servants take that money and they make more money with it. But it was, there was a key piece here. They understood that it wasn't theirs. just remind you that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and raised again from the dead to ransom your life from death, from your master that was Satan himself. Your old master is no longer your master because of Jesus. Your new master is Jesus. And you notice here that, that each of them is given a certain amount of stuff according to their abilities. You know, we think, you know what, sure, if I had, you know, enough to cover myself, my expenses, yeah, I could think about investing. I could think about what it would mean to, to do something with the extra. But I don't think that's the implication here in this passage. God is saying to us that we have to learn to accept first and foremost that what we have is what he's given. You may be past working age. You're retired on a fixed income. There's no way for you to bring in more money. You have very limited resources and yet you are a steward of those limited resources. It's your obligation to take that small amount you have and make sure that every penny gets used the way that it should. And the reality is, is that there is nothing in this world that God did not make and which does not belong to him. It's all his anyway. I wonder what it would look like if we started acting like everything I have belongs to someone else. That my circumstances, my time, my money were my obligation to my master to steward. What if we stopped comparing ourselves to the next person? But God, why didn't you give me 10? Instead of two. What what were you thinking? Like, it would be so much easier if I had ten. Instead, you gave me one. We're so good at making excuses for ourselves, aren't we? It's so easy to blame and, and to think that there's problems outside of us that could just be solved if we had more. And yet, we have to learn 
that in this stewarding of what God gives us is contentment in the master. And the next thing that we can learn, so the first thing is you are a steward of your resources. You are a steward. In other words, the stuff you have doesn't belong to you. Secondly, you are to invest those resources for the benefit of your master. You are to invest those resources for the benefit of your master. If you notice at the end, the, the guy that was like, God, you know, yo, you're a, you're a scary dude. I was afraid that I would lose that money. You know, I just buried it in the ground so it stays safe. And he was like, you know, you could have at least put it in the bank where it could have accrued some interest. In other words, no matter how much God is giving you, there are ways that you can begin to invest what God has given you for his kingdom. Remember uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 33? So whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that many may be saved. There was a saying from one of our old churches that, in essence, we were all ministers, and there are some that get paid through the church but God routes the rest of our paychecks through businesses. Right? We are all part of this, this mission of God on earth called the kingdom. And we're all part of building it in the smallest of ways. I remember our, our little house, our little row home in Philly on this busy street called Aramingo. And we would stuff our house with 20 to 30. 20 to 30 people. I mean, it was like people were like pouring out of every nook, crevice, and cranny, sitting on the stairs, and we were all just sharing a meal. It wasn't much. But I'll tell you what, we, we saw God do some awesome things by taking what we had and investing it for his kingdom. We saw God save people. We saw people get baptized You may not have much. You may not have any money to give, but you may have time to pray. You may have time to intercede and ask God to show up and build his kingdom through his church. Amen? See, this is what happens when we begin to, to see our allegiances in a totally different way, that we're no longer a slave and a master to our desires, but we're ultimately a, a slave to God. We're his servants. And he's entrusted us with resources to use for his kingdom. There isn't a part of our lives that God can't use if surrendered for his glory. Amen? You may have a small row home. You may live in a small apartment in a senior living home. You may have a small trailer. You may have a can of food on, in your cupboard. But God can use you. 
God can take any part of our lives and use it. So first we learn you are a steward of your resources. We're supposed to manage it, take care of it. It's not ours. Second, you are to invest those resources for the benefit of your master. And third, this is cool, guys. I love this passage. I love the things that we can see here. You will share in God's joy when you steward and invest his gifts wisely. That's the thing, right? Like, we think, like, like I shared in the illustration at the beginning, if I win the lottery, that's the most direct path to happiness. That's the most direct path to me getting everything that I want. Everything that I possibly think could make me happy. But the reason that doesn't work is that those things are finite. Those things don't last. Those things will be burned up at the end. And they themselves cannot carry the burden that our hearts have. Which is that we were created to be in relationship with God himself. And when we shift our allegiance, when we begin to follow him as our master, and we serve him with our resources, God says when he returns from this long journey, and he he rewards them, he says, share your master's joy. The best way to get happiness isn't by necessarily seeking for happiness. The best way to find happiness is by seeking for God. And he will reward you for laying down your life and following him. There, you think that what this world has to offer can make you happy? Let me tell you something. That God has riches that you don't even know yet. There's joy and happiness that he offers in himself that you can't even begin to imagine or understand. And when you begin to follow him, and when you begin little by little, step by step, he shares his joy with you. You get more out of sacrifice than you do out of trying to get it. Number four, so first was, you are a steward of your resources. Number two, you are to invest those resources for the benefit of your master. Number three, you will share in God's joy when you steward and invest those gifts wisely. Number four, you will be given greater opportunities when you've learned to steward even the small things he gives you. Each of these servants who took the talents that their master had given them, and when they brought back the profit that they had made for their master, he said to them specifically, I'm going to give you more. I'm going to give you more responsibility. I've run a business for 10 years. My wife and I have been reflecting a lot recently on that journey. When we started... We had a four-door Honda Civic <laughs> that we put all my electrical tools in, and I would 
embarrassingly drive up to customers' homes in this silly little Honda Civic. You know, yeah, I'm a business owner. Woo! (laughs) But it's what I had. And I I sought to invest what I had in the best ways that I could because I, I couldn't afford to do anything else. And each step of the way has been this process of, of learning to, to steward what opportunities I had, what, what means I had to accomplish those things, and with time, watching things grow and being given new opportunities and bigger opportunities. And, and this cycle continues in my life, and I promise you as well that you may be at the beginning of a long journey wondering, I want to I go there, but I don't see how. How, how am I going to get there? And it starts right here. You're a steward of the gifts that God has given you. Be faithful what he's, with what he's given you now, and he's going to give you more. And it may not even be in the ways that you expect. But I tell you now that whatever it is, whatever opportunity comes your way because you've been faithful, your heart's going to be full. Your heart's going to be full. You're going to be overwhelmed by the way that God has honored your faithfulness. He's going to, you're going to be overwhelmed with joy in the ways that he shows up and he leads. So we've learned you are a steward of your resources. You are to invest those resources for the benefit of your master. You will share in God's joy when you steward and invest those gifts wisely You will be given greater opportunities when you've learned to steward even the small things he gives you. And the last thing, and this is a negative example, a negative lesson. You must recognize, confront, and turn from self-limiting beliefs. This one dude who had the one talent was so afraid that he was going to screw it up that he dug a hole in the ground, hid the talent, and just left it. And how many of us have done the same thing? We're so afraid of taking any risks and any opportunities in our lives that 10 years later, we haven't moved anywhere in our lives. We haven't seen God show up and do anything. I remember for so long thinking in, in our business. I remember early on, there's a certain amount of revenue coming in. I thought, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> and yet we were barely getting by. And I didn't know that I needed to work even harder than I was. I didn't know that there were more investments that I needed to make because I couldn't even imagine the possibility of earning more. I felt wrong. It felt selfish. And when we've lived in poverty for so long, what happens? It shapes our entire worldview. We begin to think that we're not worthy of anything more, that we can't accomplish anything because of the circumstances that we've come from. But there's one thing that will define you more than your family, if you let it. And that is your allegiance to Jesus. In Jesus, we can overcome our fears. In Jesus, we can overcome every obstacle. In Jesus, we can find ways to move forward that we never imagined. All glory to God.
And so as we continue this process over and over in our lives of properly placing our allegiance in Jesus, recognizing that your resources are his, you will invest them wisely for his glory, and you will receive joy and greater opportunities to steward God's resources for his glory. Money is finite, but God is infinite. Pursuing him will give you more than the pursuit of money could ever give you. So in conclusion, I want to kind of tie this down into reality. How do we take these truths and begin to live them out practically with our money? And let me just say, first of all, I have experienced so much shame when it comes to money. I have been overwhelmed. I have been scared to share with people where we were and things that we were facing. So I get it. If that's what you're feeling as we try to let God push into this area of our lives, I get it. But I can also tell you that you don't have to stay there. That there is hope. Okay? So what are some small steps that you could begin to take that could begin to change the trajectory of your life. Um, there's a book uh, called Atomic Habits. And Atomics just simply refers to small. And he shares this example that I thought was is really powerful. And it says, he shares that when a plane, a jet leaves Los Angeles to fly to New York, if the nose of the plane is pointed south by seven feet, he will end up in D.C. instead. New York. Seven feet off, over 2,000 miles, you'll be in a completely different city. And, and it's the same thing in our own lives. There's little habits that we can begin to implement that can begin to change the trajectory of our lives over a period of time if we commit to them, right? One day you're going to wake up and say, wow, look at God. This is awesome. So first of all, some basic things. Every month, and actually every week, sit down and track your income. Write down what God's bringing in. In the, in the next column, write down all of the expenses that you have. Right? So you know how much you have coming in. You also need to know how much needs to go out. Right? It's hard to begin to make changes with our money if we don't actually know what our, what our money is coming in and what our money is that needs to go out. Okay, so track your income, track your expenses, track your debts. That one might, some of this might begin to feel a little scary for you. I get it. You know, if you owe a lot of money for those tolls from crossing the bridge and just running, <laughs> maybe you made a deal with the wrong person that you still owe money to, 
that needs to be written down. You need to see it. You need to be able to identify it. Maybe you owe the IRS. Whatever it is, that debt needs to be written down. You need to be able to see it. It needs to be right there in front of you. You can't be able to run and hide from it. And then track your money. Every expense, everything that you spend your money on, you need to know where it went. It's the same thing. If you want to lose weight, you know what they want you to do? They want you to track what you eat. If you're, if you're struggling to manage your time, you know what they're going to tell you to do? Track your time. Right? When we begin to write things down, it begins to bring things out of the darkness and into the light. And I'll, it may be overwhelming. It may be really scary. But I'll tell you what, that's where you're going to meet God. Because you're going to have to cry out to him for help. Because he's your master, and these are your situations, your circumstances that you've got to steward. But you're not going to run from it anymore. You're going to run to it. And you're going to accept that this is where you are, and you're not going to be scared anymore. You're not going to keep running. You're going to say, all right, God, I'm going to steward this now. I'm going to take care of what I need to take care of. And then, don't let your heart stray from God, even though the journey is hard. You may be overwhelmed over and over and over again and just thinking it's impossible. And maybe it is. But I know this, that there is no journey that doesn't start with taking step one. Right? You've got to take the first step. And once you've taken that one, you take the next one. And you just keep taking the next step and saying, God, help me steward this. Help me to be wise. Help me to do better. Invite others into the process. Invite others. You don't need to do this alone. I guarantee you that in this room, there are people that have walked the same paths that you have walked. And can offer hope gives you the ability to realize you're not alone. They can give you the accountability to keep going. They can pray with you. And then just learn to walk in the light. We've all made financial mistakes. It's scary. It's hard. It feels like everything's coming down around you. I want to leave us with this last thing. One of the last things that Dumbledore says to Harry, he says, it does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Sometimes money offers us this false hope that if I just had enough of it, I could get out of here. And, and we keep going back to that mirror, and we sit there, and before long, we've withered away into nothing. We don't even know who we are anymore, and we've never even lived the lives that God gave us. It does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. Let's pray.
Father, we, we, uh, we wish you didn't show up and uh, push our buttons all the time. But we know it's because you love us. We know that at the end of the day, what you tell us is actually what's good for us. And I, I just pray, God, I know that this is a battleground in people's lives where people are still running and they're full of shame and worry and fear and they're stressed out. And I just pray that they would run to you, that they would confess their weakness, confess their sin, confess their failure, find that you are there and that you love them and that you offer a path forward. It may be a difficult path. It may be harder than, than we could ever imagine, and yet you're there with us, and you have shown us the way, Lord, yourself. Because you took the difficult road. You took the path to the cross. You could have called for angels to come and just strike down all of his enemies, but you didn't. You took the path that God had laid out for Jesus, thank you for stewarding exactly what God gave you. Thank you, Lord, because as a result, we stand here in your presence today, fully forgiven, having life, knowing that our eternity will be spent with you, the greatest gift of all. Lord, I pray that that truth, that hope, would weasel its way down into the nooks and crannies of our heart where we're, we're most afraid, where our money looks like shambles pray all of this in Christ's name.